Good morning again. Um, I've, I've spotted a few faces this morning that I'm not familiar with. Um, so either we just haven't met before or you're new to the church, in which case a huge welcome to you. Um, my name's Tom and I'm the minister in training here. Um, I started here in September, so there are some people that I haven't yet met who have been members here for 40 years. Um, and there are other people who have walked in for the first time today. And we, we give thanks for that and we celebrate having you with us. And hopefully, when you walked in this morning, you were already aware that today is Palm Sunday. And I thought, I was thinking of a title for this morning, and Palm Sunday was the obvious one, so I thought, yep, I'll I'll put that on a slide. Then I thought, what is Palm Sunday? What what, what stage is it in the journey? And that great um, Winston Churchill quote came to me. I think it was just after the... um, Uh, victory in North Africa when he stood up and gave a speech and he said this is not the end it's not even the beginning of the end but it is perhaps the end of the beginning I wonder if that was the sort of thing that was going through Jesus's mind as he approached Jerusalem For some people there, they would have thought, this is the beginning of the end. This is going to start a revolution. The downfall of the Roman Empire could could come about. But Jesus knew that actually this was just the beginning of the end of the beginning. The story up until that point had all been in preparation, right from creation all the way through. When we look back through the Old Testament, we can see time and time and time again prophecies about the coming Messiah entering Jerusalem in exactly the same way that Jesus entered Jerusalem at that time, on that day. And so it was the beginning of the end of the beginning. And the end of the end of the beginning comes next week. In fact, it comes at the end of this week on Friday with the crucifixion. And then the beginning of the beginning of the end... (laughs) if you're still with me, comes next Sunday. So it's slightly awkward to start with a passage this morning because um, all four Gospels have their own account of the entry, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But uh, I thought I'd go with Matthew because that was, um, that was the one that the, uh, the sketch that we had earlier um, that was, was based on. And um, we're going to be jumping around between the four Gospels as we as we uh, go through this morning's sermon. So, if you turn to Matthew chapter 21, you should find a passage which will have a title along the lines of the triumphal entry. Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem... And came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is Jesus. Now, it's difficult to get through primary school in this country, or at least it was back in the day when I was when I was at school, without coming into Easter and having at least a smattering of the Easter story. Pick up any one of the Gospels and you will read that Jesus did ride into Jerusalem. He was riding on a donkey. He was welcomed by crowds. They did lay things down on the ground ahead of him. He was loved and there were shouts of his authority, his kingship as well. It's difficult then, isn't it, to work out how you go to that, like Katie said earlier on when she was leading worship. We go from that, that that moment of, of an absolute peak, celebration, crowds falling at Jesus' feet, recognising him, adoring him, to the point we get to at the end of the week when he is betrayed by one closest to him, tried unfairly, condemned wrongly, beaten, flogged, nailed to a cross, crucified to die the most horrible and painful of deaths. Added to that, we have the confusion of what came three days later when he rose again. So we've sung songs this morning about, about Jesus' love and, um, and how, how great it is to, to recognise Jesus and to acknowledge his salvation. And we come to church each week and, and we meet with friends and we, we celebrate. I almost showed a video clip at this point in the sermon. I almost showed a video clip of um, a, Tim, a Tim Hughes song. And some of you will be familiar with it. It's got the words in it. It's called See His Love, and it's got the words in it. This is Jesus in his glory, King of heaven, dying for me. Now, many of you will probably know that song. But the video clip that I was going to use, set that to scenes from the Passion of the Christ. Scenes of the crucifixion, scenes of the torture, scenes of the trial. Scenes which I didn't use the video clip, so I thought, I've only been around a few months I'm not quite sure how people's sensitivities lie and I wouldn't want people walking out in, if they're offended or anything like that. So I thought, no, I won't do that. I'll, um, maybe next year I'll have a chat with Ian and then if all goes wrong, I can blame it on him. <laughs> but you see, it's a very graphic video clip. It's on YouTube if you'd like to look it up. It's very graphic. And the reason I was going to use it is because these words, this is Jesus, these come up, these are sung when we have the image of Jesus bloodied, beaten, suffering horribly, on the verge of death, nailed to the cross. And it says, this is Jesus in his glory. 
I don't know about you, but if someone says, think of a time when Jesus is, is shown in all his glory, I'm far more likely to point to Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem when the crowds are singing, Hosanna! Hosanna! I'm far more likely to point to that than I am to Jesus on the cross. And yet his true glory came in that moment. So at the start of this holy week, let's, let's not let ourselves be, be offended by the, the less pleasant bits. We should celebrate the highs, but we should also immerse ourselves in the lows so that we ride that emotional, spiritual roller coaster without fear because we know that when we get to the end of it, there is good news. There is the best of news to celebrate. So, when we break down the gospel version of events and have a close look at them, we see that there are, there are some points on which the gospels agree. All four of them agree certain things. And um, there, are, there are some points which are, which are only reported in other gospels. So I thought we'd have a, a brief look at that this morning to see, um, to see whether or not there's anything we can learn from those points. So first of all, um, uh, as far as we know, scholars say that the first gospel to be written was Mark's, and he, he, he reports... He reports the facts. He, um, he, he worked to get together a factual account as far as he could. Um, Luke was very um, concerned with the history. Sorry, Mark chapter 11, if you'd like to, if you, if you um, want to stick a, a, a thick finger in there. Um, Luke in chapter 19, verse 28, we get his, um, his sort of historical account. He's very much a historian. He, he wants to make sure that events at a time are recorded for history. He starts his gospel with saying that it's important that these things are done. Um, Matthew, um, Luke and Matthew, second or third gospels to be written. We're not quite sure which order they were written in. Um, very much a storyteller, so it's good when we, when we have children's stories, we often use Matthew's account, Matthew 21, verses 1 to 14. And then the final gospel to be written was John's gospel. Um, we read about John's account of the triumphal entry in chapter 12. John's a very theologically focused gospel writer. So, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they all record that Jesus sent two disciples to find the cult that had been left tied up, waiting for them. In John, unsurprisingly, he's, he's not worried about the detail. He does record that Jesus found a young donkey. So there's a slight discrepancy, but the fact is that the donkey was there, ready, waiting for Jesus. They all knew that Jesus did enter Jerusalem on a young, unridden donkey. They all agree on that. And that's important because it fulfills prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. We read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on the colt of a donkey. So Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. All four gospel writers agree on that point. This wasn't just coincidence. This is, this is a glimpse of, of the heavenly hand at work. Once again in Jesus' life, it's not the first time that prophecy has been fulfilled. How else can we explain the response, of, um, the response that someone has to two strangers taking a donkey in broad daylight? It's like a, a divine set-up, isn't it? Um, if I went into Biddeke High Street and just walked up to walked up to a shop and someone left their bike there and I just got on it and rode away... There'd be outcry. People want to reclaim their property. I'd be branded a thief. 
Might be right in Basildon, I suppose, but but you see, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. But you see, you just wouldn't do it, would you? Jesus sends his disciples, go. It will be okay. It will be okay. When I when I worked for my the first uh, first insurance broker that I worked for um, when I came out of university. Um, I heard um, a story of a guy who used to work in a London office, got transferred to Singapore, and he got to Singapore Airport, and he, he got off the plane, he wasn't quite sure, you know, starting a new life, he's over there for a couple of years, and he was all excited about it, and he came out of departures, and there was a driver standing there with a, a placard, and it just had JLT written on it, it's the name of the firm I worked for. And um, the story goes that this guy saw the chauffeur standing there, and said, brilliant, that, this is awesome. This is great, what a welcome. And so he went off with the chauffeur, got in the car, and uh, he drove him, uh, drove him to the offices. And he went in, introduced himself, and it was great. And it was only a, a week later that um, a rather angry email came out from the, the PA of the CEO um, saying that somebody had, uh, had taken the car that had been waiting for the CEO <laughs> when he came to visit the uh, Singapore office. There's no mistake here in the Gospel. This donkey is there for Jesus. It is there because way back when Zechariah prophesied, when he was given that vision of that donkey being there, God had everything planned. God, God's master plan was already in place. Here the prophecy is fulfilled. The reaction of mankind is not to refuse the will of God, but to succumb to it. Why? Because this is, this is, this is one of those glimpses of heaven, which is so easy to miss in Scripture. It's so easy to miss, but actually if we were there in a situation, it would make no sense. So the Gospels all agree on Jesus' mode of transport. It's important as well, because if Jesus had gone in on a horse, well, a horse is a beast of war. A horse was rode by, by cavalry. On a horse, you're, you're up high. It's a position of authority. Horses were expensive. A donkey was associated with peace. A donkey was a beast of burden. There was nothing glamorous or attractive about travelling around on a donkey. It wasn't a status symbol. And so it's important, again, that Jesus entered not on a, a, a great stallion of a horse charging in. Instead, he came on a meek beast of burden, associated with peace. Matthew, Mark and Luke all all recount people praising Jesus, people laying down their cloaks and palm leaves. This was treatment that was reserved for royalty. In Psalm 118, verse 26, we we read about um, uh, the... People being welcomed in the name of the Lord. Jesus here in Palm Sunday is welcomed in the name of the Lord. This was blasphemy in the eyes of Jewish leaders. Why is he being welcomed in the name of the Lord? They're saying he comes in the name of the Lord. People knew Jesus had pointed to himself as the Son of God. They laid palm leaves and cloaks down before Christ. In 2 Kings we read about... Um, cloaks being spread in, in front of King Jehu as he travelled on his journeys. People laying down palm leaves and cloaks 
In Leviticus, the festival of the Lord, we read about in Leviticus 23, palm leaves noted as a sign of rejoicing to God. And so when people lay down their cloaks, it's a sign of, of the recognition that Jesus is a king. When people lay down palm leaves, it's recognition that they're rejoicing to God. This was not comfortable for the Jewish leaders of the time. In ancient Egyptian tradition, it was uh, palm leaves were carried at, at funeral processions because they symbolised eternal life. People in Jerusalem would have been aware of that, that sort of connotation. In Greek and Roman culture, the palm was a sign of triumph and victory. No wonder it stirred the whole city, as we read in Matthew's Gospel. It wasn't so much Jesus entering, it was people's reaction to Jesus. He fulfilled so many prophecies on that day. So many prophecies. He prompted such a reaction from people that it aroused anger amongst the Jewish hierarchy. It it aroused great anger. And yet, so quickly, people turned. You see, this is why Palm Sunday is so special for us today. It reminds us to look out for, for these glimpses of heaven. It was, it's a glimpse of heaven, someone recognising Jesus. I was out for a walk with, um, uh, well, it's actually, it was Gary, actually, um, a few weeks ago. We are walking around Lake Meadows, and we went past a lady, and she had a dog, and we'd already done a couple of laps of the lake, and um, we weren't lost, we were just purposefully doing a few laps of the lake. Um, and um, this lady had some dog's mess bags, and um, there, was, there, was, there was piles along the path, which weren't her dogs, um, but they'd been there, and we'd sort of both walked past and commented on why can't people pick up after their dogs. She was going around picking up other dogs' mess and binning it, and Gary just shouted out, bless you for doing that. And this woman turned around and said, oh, thank you. And he said, no, 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 bless you for doing that, thank you, that's that's." That's just such a good service. Anyway, we carried on the walk and later on we went past her again and she said, thank you for noticing my good deed. It meant so much to her that someone had noticed what she was doing, serving in her own little way. Now, I've got no idea whether she was a Christian or not. Um, But what I do know is that as Christians, we should recognise people's service, people's good deeds. There are these little glimpses of heaven around us. We're surrounded by so much bad news, so much negativity. And yet if we choose to look for them, there are these these glimpses of heaven. In the Westminster attacks recently, there was this immediate outpouring, this, this response on social media. People talk of praying for the victims, praying for the situation, praying for the emergency services. And that's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. But most of the people who use that sort of language don't necessarily know who they're praying to, know what they're praying to, know what what prayer is. Prayer is such a powerful tool, and yet it's almost become flippantly used when people talk about responding to a crisis. It's up to us to to harness that and make sure that people know who they're praying to. They won't become Christians overnight, but at least they they can direct their prayers to our God, to the one living God, the active God who can do something about what it is they're praying for. And so, 
in Luke's account of Jesus' entry. And it's only in Luke's account we read about Jesus weeping for Jerusalem. We have this, this sight of the humanity of Jesus. When Jesus prophesies almost the destruction of Jerusalem, it was AD 66 when a Jewish uprising took place and the Romans destroyed the city. They killed an estimated 600,000 Jews. They burnt the city to the ground. And Jesus knew that the Jewish leaders would reject him and that that would seal the fate of Jerusalem. He knew what was to come and yet he also knew that it had to happen. And we see this moment where Jesus, who loves Jerusalem so much, he loves the the history, he he knows everything that's happened there because he was God. He was present from the moment that the world was created. Jesus knows how Jerusalem has has been fought over time and time and time again. He knows the history. He knows the future of Jerusalem. He knows um, what's going to happen, even though the the vision hasn't even been given to John yet. Jesus knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem, how significant it's going to be. Jesus weeps because he knows that before the story finishes, there's a long, long way to go. You see, so much happened on Palm Sunday. There was so much going on. There was so much planned. We look back now and we can see Palm Sunday in the context of Scripture. The disciples didn't understand what was going on on Palm Sunday. John's Gospel will read, at first his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things have been written about him and that these things have been done to him? Can you imagine being a disciple in the aftermath of, of, of Easter? You'd just, well, you'd be on your way to an asylum, wouldn't you? Having seen, seen the ups and downs, the extremes, the, the, the emotional roller coaster, and then you'd be sitting down, going back through scriptures, identifying all these, these moments that you'd, you, you'd lived through but somehow managed to miss, somehow managed to forget. Only after Jesus was glorified, glory on the cross, and through the resurrection, did they realise that these things had been written about him. Not only had they been written about him, they had actually been done to him. The prophecies had been fulfilled. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. In other words, the, the punishment that we deserve through our sin, that everybody that's ever lived has deserved through their sin, was upon Jesus in that moment. It, well, it's not that the glory of everything that everybody's ever done was upon Jesus on Palm Sunday when he went into Jerusalem. No, he lets, he lets us celebrate in those things, but he takes the pain and the punishment on the cross because he loves us so much. Now, of course, some people could point to the prophecies and say it's just coincidence. Was it? No. On the Alpha Course, we read a quote from C.S. Lewis where he makes the point that Jesus gives us three options. 
Either he was a liar, either he was mad, or he was truly the son of God. And C.S. Lewis says he doesn't give us another choice. He never intended to. Was Jesus a liar? We look back at his teachings. We see the, the good in his teachings. We see, we see how much of his teaching has been woven into our social fabric, the, the, the values that he instilled in us. He changed, um, he changed people's approach to justice and punishment and retribution. He changed so much in, in the fabric, the social fabric. Even in this country where he, he never set foot. Unless you've seen Jerusalem, in which case apparently he went to Glastonbury one year, but he never set foot here. And yet still, the social fabric of our country reflects so much of the teaching that Jesus gave us. Is he a liar? No. Is he mad? No. If he was mad, then there wouldn't be so much sense and logic in his teachings. Then he wouldn't have performed the miracles, the healings. He wouldn't have had the power, the authority to do it. He certainly couldn't have risen from the dead. The only option left to us is that perhaps, just perhaps, he truly was the son of God. People are fickle. We love a scandal, don't we? We love to to question what seems to be the obvious answer. I remember a few years ago, um, David Beckham went and played for Paris Saint-Germain. And he he decided he wouldn't earn a wage. Well, he would earn a wage, but it would all go to charity every week. And uh, the press was full of articles claiming how it was a big PR stunt. We shouldn't be taken in by it. It's it's all about tax evasion and that sort of thing. He just thought, oh, come on, give the guy a break. You know, he's, he's earning something like <laughs> half a million pounds a week. And he's saying, give that all to charity. Even if he is benefiting in some other way, that's half a million pounds a week going to charity. Why do we have to fill our newspapers and our websites and everything with, 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 with gossip and, and accusations? Why do we try and pour scorn on a good thing and scoff at it and say, oh, there's got to be an ulterior motive? Why can't we just see the good in the world around us? Why can't we just accept that we are all capable, when we choose to, of doing genuinely good things? We see a good deed. We've got a choice how we react. We can either aspire to raise our own game or we can conspire to bring others down to our level. On Palm Sunday, just just for a few moments, the crowd aspired to to lift themselves to Jesus' level. But then they took the easy option. They bought into the, the slander spread around by the Jewish leaders. And instead, they conspired to bring him down to the level of the cross, the degradation, the pain, the suffering. Jesus chose to die for us on that cross. So many people reject the idea as a, as, as a children's story. But I challenge you today, study it. Come up with a better explanation of who Jesus was, of what happened, of how it was that he could have been condemned to death on that cross and then over 500 people saw him alive after the resurrection. How? We all exist in these peaks and troughs of faith, don't we? One minute we're sharing in the triumph of Jesus and celebrating and welcoming into it our hearts through his spirit. At the moment, I'm, I'm really excited. We've got the baptismal service next week. We've got Easter Sunday, which is always a great service. Um, we've got Alpha Course starting. Um, the youth are going off to Soul Survivor and Solid. They've got loads of stuff going on. It's, it's a good time. 
But a short while later, we can find ourselves in a dark place, feeling very distant. We might say, do, or think things that add to the pain and suffering that Christ has already suffered on that cross. This holy week, let's remember the images that I spoke about earlier. Jesus on that cross, in his darkest, dirtiest, most painful moment, when his suffering was most acute, when he knew that he was just moments away from death. Just remember, this is Jesus in his glory, King of heaven, dying for me. Just remember those words. Don't let that death be in vain. Instead, let's turn to him and say, Lord, you you came triumphantly into that city. You rode that donkey. You came peacefully. You changed the world. You died for me. You suffered for me. You accepted the punishment I deserve. You gave your life for me. And I thank you with all my heart. But more than that, because you rose again, let's say, I follow you. I follow you. And I know that my salvation is assured. You see, it's all or nothing when we come into this holy week. It's got to be. It's all or nothing. You see, Jesus gave his all. Jesus gave his all so that nothing may stand between us and God. All, his all, so that nothing can stand between us and God. As we celebrate today, as we remember that, that day, which must have been day of all days, that triumphant entry when Jesus entered Jerusalem. Let's just remember that it was a day of destiny. It was a day which had to happen. A day which began the series of events which led to our salvation. It led to us being here today to worship the living God who defeated death, who overcame evil, who gave us salvation. And so, as we finish this morning... We're going to sing shortly, Your Grace is Enough. And uh, it's got this, the line in it, I will fall at your feet. I will fall at your feet. If Jesus was to come into Billericay this morning, riding on a donkey or however he came, would we recognise him? And if we did, would we be prepared to lose the veneer, to, to ignore what people think of us, to just accept that we are not worthy and yet we've received from him this glorious gift. What can we lay before Jesus as he enters our lives again this week? Let's pray and then the band will lead us in worship as we close this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can look back at your life and that we can see such clarity with such confidence the prophecies from hundreds of years before you set foot on this earth that were made and were fulfilled through your life. Father, thank you that you went through with every step of your journey. 
that you followed the plan that was in place for you. Even though you knew on that day, as you entered Jerusalem, as you saw the city, as you saw the people, as you heard their their cries of adoration, you knew that just as we are today, they too were fickle. That they too would turn against you. Father, we pray you'll give us the steel in our hearts this week to cling to our salvation, to cling to you, to say this is Jesus in his glory. And Father, when we go through our times of suffering, may we remember that this is us in our glory. May we praise your name. May we come closer to you through our suffering so that when the day comes that we stand before you, you welcome us home. And that we then will share in your eternal glory together. Lord, we fall at your feet. We give thanks for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.